Welcome to Booked, the Warmed and Bound Sessions. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. Warmed and Bound is an anthology published by Velvet Press consisting of just under 40 short stories, all by authors who are members of or involved in the Velvet, an online community of authors and fans of the trio, Will Christopher Bear, Craig Clevenger, and Stephen Graham Jones. Warmed and Bound was released on Friday, July 22nd. Bob Pastorella lives in southeast Texas. He's published with Outsider Writers Collective, Thunderdome, Nefarious Muse, Troubadour 21, and his short story, To Watch is Madness, is featured in The Zombist, Undead Western Tales Anthology. He's currently working on a vampire noir novel. Bob was nice enough to come in and talk to us a little bit today. Bob, welcome to Book. Thanks for taking time out of your schedule to talk to us. I'm very glad to be here. Thanks for taking your time to <laughs> Thanks. Um, hey, why don't we start it off by uh, you telling us a little bit about your story, Practice, from Warmed and Bound. Uh, practice, th- this question comes up a lot from the people that have read it. Uh, it's actually based on a true story uh, that happened to me, and it did not have a very, very good outcome. Basically, everyone, every guy in this world, when they, they meet someone, they meet that girl. And then you find out later on that she's that girl. She's really, really messed up. And uh, you really, you don't know how far gone she's going to, you know, she is until you really get involved in a relationship. And you, you want to be that, once you realize that she's really screwed up, then you want to be that knight in shining armor. You think you can save her, you know, and then there comes a point when you just go, hey, you know what? I got to break away. I can't be with you anymore. I, I I have I know what you're gonna do, and I don't want to be there when it happens. And that's pretty much where that story came from. I had uh, when I found out about the anthology, I had submitted two stories to Payla, and she uh, one she ended up publishing in Outsiders Writer Collective, and uh, the other one she you know, she told me, hey, if you want me to publish this, I will. You need to bring your A game. Uh, this is, it needs a little work. And she goes, I really, I've read practice and I want practice. And uh, I was really, really flattered that she actually requested a story. So I was like, well, this is good. You know, uh, so I, I sent it to her and uh, I'm like, okay, I'm done, you know. And then <laughs> probably about a month later, <laughs> she s- sends me copy edits and uh, I'm like, okay, okay. I figure I might have had a typo or two <laughs> you know, or something like that. And uh, I open up the attachment, and I, you know, of course, you use standard format, so all I see is like the first paragraph. And I think there's like one comment. I'm like, oh, this is gonna be easy. <laughs> I start going through there, and it's like this whole damn thing is bleeding. And I'm like, oh my goodness, what have I done? And it really, all she did is she just marked, you know, every single little instance where she thought that she could make or I could make a better connection with the reader. And that's why she's really, really good editor because not only did she look, you know, that, but she I almost think she knew my story better than I did. And I, I took I took a good bit of her suggestions and uh and we we, we kinda went back and forth on a couple things and uh and you know, at first I was like, Golly, she wanted my story and, and she she wrecked it and then now, you know, I, I picked up the uh, I read it, the the copy edits again the other night. I was like, this this story actually sings now, and I, I owe her a lot of credit to that. But uh, you know, she she helped me make it a better story. 
editing is something we've started talking about more after having Pela on and then a couple of our other guests do editing for different websites and stuff. When you have somebody else edit for, for copy, what percentage do you think your actual story can increase by, by someone else looking at it and allowing them to make changes or suggestions for changes? As far as percentage, what you mean, uh, more is, is, ha- is how much better I, you think I can make it? or Yes. Or- it really depends on the editor. I, I would say that, that she's one of those rare breeds that, you know, you can actually, uh, she, like I said, I thought she knew more about my story than I did. Uh, I've only come across very few editors. Uh, uh, Jason Wood, when he worked at uh, McAdam Cage, uh, gave me a quick and dirty edit on a first chapter a couple of years ago, and he was the same way. Uh, he, he knew more about our maybe not knew more about, but he knew what I was getting into and he knew that, uh, that I, that I could make it better. And it, it's, they give you these suggestions and you, you have to decide whether you want to use them or not. And I would say that as far as what she gave me, I probably used about a good 65% of her suggestions. Not that the story was bad in any, any, any shape of the word, but she, the suggestions made it a lot more powerful. So, I would say that's a very, very high percentage. I, I can't really put a number on that. Uh, you know, I, I would feel funny. It's like she made my story 75% better. <laughs> I don't think I could actually say that, but, uh, you know, maybe, 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 you know, a good 25, 35% better after we hashed everything out. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's refreshing to, uh, to have someone do that. Of course, I don't recommend any writer ever expect an editor to be able to to be that insightful uh you need, you, yeah because in, in, in today's publishing age most editors are acquirers you know they're, they're not going to edit anything they want you you basically have to bring your a-game to the table and uh you know it, it's it's funny because you know a lot of people say well i can do this i can write and i read their stuff and i'm like mm, you need a little help you know and, and i try to uh when i when i critique and edit someone's work i try to try to get into the story, uh, you know, in, in, in right club, uh, I'm a member of right club and in my group, I've got some, some really, really good writers. And, and it's, it's amazing that I, I find a typo occasionally, but I mean, it's, it, it helps to really like the subject matter and it's, uh, it's tough. I think I, I may be able to contribute maybe 10 to 15% to where someone can feel like they're, you know, they, they've gotten a 10 to 15% better story if you want to put it into a mathematical terminology. Um, speaking of content and liking content, uh, the stories I've read in Warmed and Bound have been, um, you know, when I say all over the place, I certainly don't mean it in a bad way. But, for example, Axel Tayari's story that kicks it off is kind of this this post-apocalyptic and almost otherworldly feel to it. Um, practice, I thought, really, really enveloped what I think of when I think of stories from the Velvet. I mean, I think it had just the right touch of everything and that kind of emotion that goes into it. So, I mean, I think the content was absolutely fantastic. So, well, congratulations you. to you and to Pela for whatever she helped with on that. I appreciate that. The uh, I've read I've read quite a few of the stories in there, and I, I'm a straightforward writer. I'm not a wordsmith. Uh, that's just that's not my style. I don't uh, you know I don't try to make my words pretty. Uh, it's just, uh, I've been doing this for, for quite a while. I've only recently started getting published, uh, cause I got over my fear of rejection. And, uh, that's probably the biggest hurdle that any writer has is that you, you get rejected a couple of times. It'll do you a lot of good, but, uh, my style is just very, very straightforward. And, uh, 
it's uh it's funny because I, I read some of the other stories and I'm like, golly, man, these guys are really, really, you know, they they get into their words or just, you know, it's, it's almost like magic. And I'm, I try to do it and it just doesn't come out that way at all. So I'm just going to stick with what I think I do best. You tell us a little bit on how you got involved with the Velvet. Uh, I got involved with Velvet. I, of course, uh, just like everyone else, I came from the cult, which is funny how I actually found the cult. I was looking up uh, information about the band, the cult, on Google. <laughs> and uh, I saw the cult.net, and I'm like, well, shoot, this is it, you know? And then I'm seeing all this stuff about uh, Chuck Palnick. And uh, at the time, I was, uh, I was working, uh, I was doing insurance, very boring job. And uh, I was bored most of the time and uh, just rereading a, a lot of books that I've been reading because uh, I refused to, you know, pick up anything on the bestseller list. It was just drivel as far as I was concerned. And I remember seeing Fight Club and I, you know, I loved the movie and I'm, I'm like, well, I knew, and I knew there was a book. And so I went to the store and I picked up Fight Club and uh, I started reading that. I'm like, well, th- this is actually something I can get into. Uh, it's just written so differently. It uh, it appealed to me at the time. On the on the cult, they started talking about you know Will Christopher Bear, and so I ordered a copy of uh, Kiss Me Judas, and I started reading it. And then I found out that they had the Velvet. They had uh, a website there, so I started visiting the website and everything. And I, I've been over there since about 2004. Uh, under a different name, I just recently, uh, last year or maybe earlier this year, no, no, I think it was last year, I changed my name to my my real name because I wanted to have a little bit more professional uh, atmosphere. My old username has uh, probably uh, started a couple of threads that are, eh, for better, one of a better word, a little controversial. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm just going to, uh, I didn't want to delete. I felt like, well, I'm just going to delete this thing. No, I'm not. I'm going to leave them up there, but I'm just, I'm not going back to that username anymore. I'm just going to use my real name. And uh, I like the community there. It's a uh, it's a reading and writing community. This is uh, important to uh, make a distinction about. And not not saying anything bad about the cult, but the the cult has a lot more members that aren't interested in in writing at all. They could care less. And uh, all they want to do is have fun and waste time and all that. And I'm not getting any younger. And the Velvet just seemed like a, just a really really good fit. And I try to stay, you know, involved in the forums as much as I can, as much as my, my work will let me do. Jumping around a little bit, I was looking at, uh, I was reading up on you before this a little bit, and um, I noticed on your website you had uh, some brief, like, synopses of two forthcoming novels, or I guess novels you're working on, which are mm-hmm. Blood Junkies and Sirens. And yes. <laughs> they were both really, really interesting, and sounded very vastly different so do you want to talk about those at all or even if you just want to choose one and talk about sirens particularly sounded interesting because of some of the influences you mentioned as well yeah the uh blood junkies is a uh, story i've been working on for about uh about two and a half years now and uh it's basically uh, the result of me and some friends up at work uh, complaining about twilight <laughs> and uh, and how vampires uh were now emo and uh, I'm like, I, I just I couldn't see it, and I didn't want to have any part of it. And we had these uh, hour hour long discussions about vampires, me and some friends up at work, and we determined that the one thing that really hadn't been done too often was 
touched upon maybe was a, a vampire or, or someone who knew all the vampire lore who wanted to be a vampire and knew that there was a way to do it. And unfortunately, he's also a junkie. And he uses uh, his, uh, his job as a drug runner to uh, find out, you know, he has a lot of time on his hands and he gets to travel all over the world. He ends up in Germany and he finds out the secret to becoming a vampire. And he gets involved in a little shady business and uh, is forced to use the secret. And once he does, he basically becomes a vampire. And it is like the worst nightmare thing that could ever happen to him. It's uh, it's definitely a Murphy's Law, which I, I, I hit on a lot. It's, uh, you know, uh, you, you definitely, there's certain things in life that you should not wish for. Because if you get it, it's not going to turn out the way you want it to. And... Uh, of course, he doesn't realize this, so as he begins to make a physical and mental and spiritual change, uh, he thinks that, at first, that he's just needing more blood. It's going to keep him human, and he doesn't realize that the more blood he takes in, the more he actually begins to change. And his story has actually morphed now. I'm going to—I'm uh, working on turning it into a series. I'm hoping to— uh, I made this decision a couple months ago that I'm going to uh, self-publish this series on, on uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever I can I can get it out. Hopefully by the end of the year or uh, by the beginning of next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 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 going to go from horror to to science fiction uh, to fantasy. Uh, I'm, it's basically, it's, it's a kitchen sink almost because it's got everything in it and the kitchen sink. It's just, uh, to me, uh, I think, you know, and I have a lot of friends say, man, why do you, why do you want to self-published? You want to make a lot of money? I'm like, I probably won't make a dime off of it, (laughs) but if I can get a good following, it will help me. Uh, what I, what I hope to achieve from that is, is agents and editors now are looking at people who are self-publishing who have great followings, which, which does result in some sales, but they want to see a fan base because everyone talks about now the platform and all that. And I think I've got the, uh, the, the, the edit, I mean, the, uh, the internet part of it covered. You have to have an internet presence. I think I've got that covered. Uh, and it's gaining daily, but, uh, I want people to be aware of my writing and I'm not very good at query letters. So I figured this might be uh, kind of back doorway. You know, I read uh, a lot of accounts of people who are self-published who are, are getting agents and editors, and that, that's my ultimate goal is to use it to possibly pick up an agent. And so I'm going to uh, self-publish that hopefully by December, maybe January, February. The, uh, it, there's going to be a lot of work to do. There's going to be a lot of promotion to do on it. Uh, I'm not just going to put it out there and go, there it is, y'all read it, check it out, see if you like it, you know. It's not going to be like that at all. It's uh, if you think I'm annoying now, <laughs> I'm going to be extremely annoying when that book comes out. <laughs> it is. It is an interesting time, I think, for authors because self-publishing has become just so easy from you know from a technical standpoint. It's obviously not easy to write you know something great and get it out there and promote it. But it's really interesting to see how um, how that's kind of changing the face of of just how we read and how we get books. I mean, last night we spoke with J. David Osborne and the first, first question we asked him about his novels, why isn't it available in ebook format? 
almost in that kind of way that I'm not saying I won't read something that is in an ebook format, but I think the number I threw out there is one. I think I've read one of the last 70 books I've read in paper. So not having something available in ebook format can now start to hurt an author, mm-hmm. but it can make it much easier for authors that have a good product and that want to put in the, the elbow grease, so to speak, to get their stuff out in front of people and to not just to make a decent following. I mean, there are, there are authors that have made millions in self-publishing, not many, but uh, it is certainly possible with the right amount of uh, love and work. For sure. And I feel the same way. I mean, I, I, I read uh, Joe Conrad's uh, blog, uh, Amanda Hawking. Uh, these are people who've done self-publishing. They're done with, or, well, maybe not Amanda. She just recently got a deal with St. Martin's. But uh, it is nowhere. It's just a drop in a bucket compared to what she's made self-publishing. And she's going to continue to self-publish. Uh, she's got herself a, a niche market, uh, young adult vampire. Uh, it, it's hot. It's going to be hot. Uh, there's not much that uh, anyone can do to stop that steamroller, uh, mm-hmm. even including myself. And I know that young adult is an extremely difficult yet lucrative market to get into. And uh, I'm not discounting that at all. I would love to have the uh, the, the patience to to actually work on a young adult, something that you know my my two nieces could read without having to go to my sister and ask her what a certain word was. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, uh, you know, that, that's the, uh, that's the appeal of it to me, you know, because I, I think that using, using a vampire theme is, is going to help me get the platform that I want to get. Uh, it's going to help me get the followers that I need, uh, to, to possibly, you know, get, get an agent editor's attention. And that, that's, that's my goal with this. It's not to make money. I, I, I have no delusions of grandeur that I'm going to be able to quit my job and write and just publish this. That would be great if it happens. That's awesome. Uh, but I, I don't, I don't plan on it happening. I, I don't see it happening. Uh, I just, I would like, you know, to get an email one day. It's like, Kali, you have 500 fans or you have a thousand fans or you've made a lot of sales we'd be interested in representing you. And that's exactly what, what I'd want to see out of it. So talking a little bit about the different styles that you've gone into, like you were just talking about the, the vampire thing. And obviously you've, you've written some very straight up crime kind of fiction. Uh, mm-hmm. Also you had a story in the zombist that anthology yes. of zombie Western stories. So it seems like you're pretty comfortable jumping around uh, with different genres and writing them well. Uh, is there one that you prefer, or are you just happy kind of um, just all over doing whichever you feel at the time? Well, it, for me, I mean, one of my motto is it's all horror. Uh, even practice, <laughs> uh, to some degree, is a horror story because uh, things in life that, that go that way are horrific for the people who are involved with it. And uh, so, you know, that's as far as, as like a big genre to me, like writing uh, to watch his madness. The story that's in the zombies is uh, first. It was a Western. Uh, secondly, it is a zombie story. And uh, I will I will return to the to the Western genre because uh, I enjoyed it. It was one of the most fulfilling writing experiences I've ever had in my entire life. As far as jumping around, I mean, it, it's all hard. Like you mentioned earlier, uh, the other project I'm, that I'm working on is Sirens. It's my pet project. Uh, it's a, uh, it, I don't really know what to call Sirens. It's <laughs> it, it's because, you know, it's 
it's post-apocalyptic. It's science fiction. It's going to be, uh, you know, it's a buddy of mine who has very little patience from a long-winded stories wanted. He said, in, in few words as possible, what's it about? And I told him, uh, I'm trying to write an H.R. Geiger painting. You know, and he said, you mean the guy who did all the alien stuff? I said, yeah. He goes, biomechanical. I said, exactly. And he said, you're trying to write that. I'm like, yeah. And he's like, that's cool. <laughs> it's, it's, I see that other, you know, other writers are trying to do that. What do you, what do you call it? You know, uh, do you call it science fiction? Do you call it fantasy? You know, I, I have no problem being classified as a genre writer it's just they're going to have a hard time figuring out which genre i'm in with that book <laughs> that's not a, that is definitely not a book that i would like to self-publish uh i think it would get slaughtered out there in the uh in the wild because there's no niche for it yeah and uh you know i don't see too many uh uh books like that where it's fantasy slipstream uh post-apocalyptic uh you know it, it's it's got a lot of my influences in it, uh, you know, and, and things that, that, that I that I have noticed that obsess me. And so it's probably going to be my most personal story, and I think it's something that I'm going to have to actually send out and get with an editor, get with an agent, and, and try to publish it that way. I just don't see a niche market for that kind of story. You mentioned H.R. Geiger as a kind of an influence for Sirens. Um, is that a Geiger print that's on your on your uh, blog as well? Uh, a heavily modified one. Okay. <laughs> Are you a longtime Geiger fan, or is that more coincidental with your writing of Sirens? Uh, longtime Geiger fan. Um, uh, ever since uh, I, I discovered him through Alien and uh, the Alien franchise, and uh, a, book of my, uh, a buddy of mine had uh, uh, Necromicon and uh and what's it called uh landscapes or uh biomass mass landscapes i can't think of the titles escaping me but it's two basically two coffee table books and uh we would just sit there and just you know pour through the pictures and uh it, the guy the guy is phenomenal he's very surreal uh the biomechanical aspect of it it really really appeals to me that you'll you know there's going to be some of that later on in blood junkies once vampires start running out of humans, they have to figure out how to uh, to uh, basically stay alive and stay powerful, and uh, and that's one of the one of the little secrets of the book that I'm not at liberty to give away at this time. And uh, and Sirens is the same way. I mean, Sirens is is basically it's about a guy who makes mythological creatures for wealthy clients to have sex with, and. Uh, he gets involved with some shady people who want to take these creatures and turn them into basically biomechanical weapons. And he falls in love with one of his creations. And he, he has to, uh, he actually, Geiger is actually referencing a story. He has to find this Geiger book with the pictures to help him design her because, you know, they're not using laser technology. They're using just plain old, good old painful surgery to change these these women into these creatures and it, it's, it's turning the grotesque into something beautiful. It's also, uh, making you root for the bad guy. And, and you know, the cool thing is, is that it, that part that I put on there on the website about it is only actually half the story. There's another half of the story that is, uh, what we would call in, in fiction, the big reveal, which comes midway through the book. And, uh, 
I think if I handle it right, it's gonna, it's, it's definitely gonna be something that uh, could put me on the map, and uh, and I, and that would be good. Even if it just, you know, puts me on the map with fifty people, that would be happy. Uh, that would make me very happy. Uh, do you want to tell us what some of your big uh, writing influences are? Uh, writing influences. This is always a good question here because uh, they're they're pretty. A lot of them are pretty standard, and some of them are kind of out there. Uh, obviously, Stephen King, Peter Straub, uh, Ramsey Campbell, Clive Barker. Uh, those are the writers I grew up with. As I started getting a little older, I started branching out. Brian Hodge, uh, Kathy Koja, who uh, just uh, last month like friended me on Facebook. That was like the coolest day ever. <laughs> she is uh, she is awesome. Uh, I've read uh, quite a few of her books. And uh, and she she went into the young adult arena for many many years and it is back out and she has a new book out that just came out like in October I haven't even I just found out about it. it's called Under the Poppy and uh, if you get a chance you need to check out and read what it's about it's just uh, it's just something I'm just like I have to read this book <laughs> and uh, and she she is definitely she's a wordsmith but she is definitely uh, very very grounded and she she knows how to elicit uh, fear while you're reading a story and, and, and she's very, very powerful. Uh, lately, uh, James Elroy, definitely and in, into the darker fiction. Uh, and of course, the, you know, the trio, Will Christopher Bear, uh, you know, Kiss Me Judy. It's funny because, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of his. I've never read his last book, Hell's Half Acre. Uh, and I, I guess because, I don't want to read the last one and we don't know what's going to happen with this next book. We don't know if it's ever going to come out. And I think that part of my mind's like, ah, uh, you need to hold off. Don't read it yet. <laughs> and then, uh, of course, uh, Craig, uh, Clevenger, uh, he's awesome. Stephen Graham Jones is a uh, phenomenal. Uh, I mean, he's probably already finished two books while we're doing this podcast. He's very, very prolific. <laughs> I, I wish I could write like that. I'm, I'm a slow writer. He, he, he's just, like phenomenally fast writer. I don't know how he does it. And, uh, lately, uh, of course, uh, y'all had, a uh, K- Caleb, uh, Caleb J. Ross, uh, stranger will blew me away. Just, uh, blew me away. The guy is, is phenomenal. Richard Thomas, uh, great writer. Uh, just, I mean, I'm, I tend to get into the dark stuff. Uh, and of course, Steve Erickson, uh, I, I discovered Steve, Erickson probably about a year and a half ago. And, uh, just, it's very difficult for me to see how someone can write about subject matter that is so far fetched yet. He makes it so personal. And that's, you know, how, how do you get that good? You know, that's, and that's my goal is like, how, how do I take the big, big, big gigantic concept and make it so, so personal that every, you know, so many people, uh, readers could appeal to it. And uh, I don't know how they do it. And one day I'll, I'll maybe I'll figure it out. I don't know. I'm sure you probably just answered this for us in that last answer. But I grew up reading a lot of the same stuff you did. So a lot of horror in the last few years, I've kind of backed off and have stuck with um, you know smaller press stuff, a lot of darker, a lot of darker fiction. But for booked, we've actually been looking to review just a straight up horror book, something recent. Is there something you can point us in the direction of? Something horror that I've read that y'all need to review uh, that comes to mind. Man, it's been a while since I actually read a horror novel. Um, Already Dead 
Charlie Houston or Huston. Uh, it's, it's, if you haven't read his, his, uh, his vampire series, that is, uh, something that you definitely might want to get into. Uh, like I said, in the last couple of years, I've been reading a lot of dark stuff. It helps me if I don't read horror, if I'm writing horror, because, uh, I will, uh, uh, start, I guess, taking some of those characteristics and trying to slam them into my story. It, mm-hmm. It's it's kind of like reading Brett Easton Ellis and writing first person. You, next thing you know, you're writing first person present tense, <laughs> you know, because that's what that's how he writes and it carries over. So, so if I'm writing first person, I cannot read any Brett Easton Ellis. Uh, that's really the thing that's just coming right off the top of my head as far as horror. There, I mean, there's there's some writers out there that are they're doing things that that you know. Richard Thomas reviewed one called the orange, uh, what's it called? The orange eats creeps. And, uh, I haven't read it yet. And uh, I don't even know if it's hard. I mean, but, uh, and, and Richard didn't even know what it was. He just said it was good, but he still doesn't know what it is. <laughs> I don't think anyone knows what it is, but, uh, uh, from what I understand, it's about, you know, you know, teenage punks and, uh, vampires and, uh, kind of written if, uh, if, oh, uh, you know, the guy who wrote Naked Lunch, oh, uh, Burroughs wrote it. And I'm like, well, that, that sounds right up my alley. But I, I haven't read it yet. So, like I said, I just the last, you know, couple, probably the last year or so, I haven't, I haven't really touched too, too much horror. Maybe, maybe it could be, be, some of it could be defined that way. But, you know, uh, right now, you know, it's, it's just mainly dark fiction. So, Bob, what are you currently working on? Uh, right now I'm currently working on, I'm still working on blood junkies. Uh, I'm taking every, uh, after two and a half years, I have to take occasionally take a break away from it. Uh, I got some, uh, some short stories I'm working on. I sent something off to, uh, to Doc O'Donnell. Uh, and, uh, don't know if it's, if it's right fit or not. I hope it is. I'm going to try to get something, uh, going, uh, on a story that got rejected that uh, actually has two versions. And, and now I know I should have sent in the other version. It probably would have got accept, accepted, but I'm gonna try to figure out a way to blend the two. Uh, it's just a short story about a, uh, about a mutant cow on the family that has to take care of it. So it's, it's probably going to be a straight up horror story, but uh, I'm hoping to get back uh, working on sirens uh, as soon as I can get the, the first book in a series of blood junkies out that's that's my primary goal right now kind of a quick question just going back to the the series you're the you're the first author we've talked to from um warmed and bound that has mentioned working on a series how does that kind of differ from just working on a standalone story i mean when you're plotting and writing do you do you have to plot out things for book two and three or do you just throw it together and decide at the end of one you'll figure out where book two goes uh, I do have some ideas for book two, three, four, and five. I'm thinking it's going to be about five books, maybe six. And I do have some stuff mapped out. The process that I, that I normally do is uh, normally just get a notebook and just start writing out a bunch of notes. I do what's called story beats. And uh, these get continuously rearranged and erased and deleted and redone and rewritten. And, uh, you know, and then the, the eureka moments and all that. Now, all that stuff gets put into the notebook. And I get to the point to where I probably finished about 70, probably covered 75% of all the pages in the notebook before I actually start pounding stuff out. It's, uh, you know, Craig, Craig Clevenger, he, one of the things that he, uh, 
that he's always taught and he's told us on the velvet disc is that when, you know, even after he gets an idea, he pounds out about 10,000 words. And he just, it's, it's almost like he, he says he's like getting those words out of the way. Because after that, that's where the story is. And I, I found that, that it maybe it's maybe not 10,000 words for me. Maybe it's about 5,000 words. But I'm usually throwing away beginnings because I get to the real meat of the story. And so it, it's working those out. To me, if you're going from one book to another, you're going to have another beginning. There's going to be some overlap there. And uh, and one of the things I found that uh, even even Palin noticed it is that I tend to drag on endings a little bit, and she's you know she's a big fan of just chopping it off right there, bam, it's done. <laughs> and she did you know the same thing with practice when she first read it. She says you went on about a page and a half too long, <laughs> and uh, and so it's, it's finding that happy medium because you you got to have some type of continuation. This first part of the series that's coming out. Uh, I've actually finished that part, but I'm going to add something to it because it's not enough to carry a reader onto a second story. There's not enough there. Uh, it's too much of an abrupt drop. And so I've got to probably introduce another character. And I, I really don't have a problem doing that, but it, it's things like that that you have to keep in mind is that is, is your story flowing? Do you, do you actually have enough story there for you know, a trilogy or four books or five books. Uh, and, ha- and and then, you know, are you going to be able to introduce another character strong enough to where it's going to make someone pick up the next book? Because a lot of times, even though you might have a central character that's going all the way through the entire series, it's the other characters that kind of, that people kind of look forward to reading about also. And it, it's, it's important to, you got to keep all that stuff in your head. And uh, I've never really attempted a, a series before, and I don't want to, you know, have an epic fail on it. But uh, to me, I think those are the things that are important uh, when I when I read a series, uh, especially something that's written in third person, not first person, uh, where you have uh, where you're going into multiple characters' heads, and there's still one central character. It's uh, it, 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 I guess the best way to describe it's like what James Elroy did in his Underworld trilogy is how he would carry certain certain people through the the books i don't know if you're familiar with you know the uh american tabloid cold 6000 bloods of rover but there's there's certain characters and of course they die off but there's certain characters that go through each book and it gives you this this whole composite of of basically you know almost 20 something years of american history through you know less than 10 main characters that are fictional and uh and that, and that's that's kind of like what I'm modeling this after is is uh, is the way that James the, the way that Elroy approached the, you know his uh, his trilogy there. So uh, there's a lot of things to keep in mind. There really is. Okay, is there anything else that you think uh, you'd like to talk about that maybe we <coughs> forgot to mention or uh, didn't bring up? Uh, I remembered when I was thinking about this the other day because I knew y'all were going to ask me about one book. <laughs> and I, I know you, play, you asked me to plug a horror book, but my one book is I've been listening to pod, podcasts, so I'm like, all right, I only get one. Uh, the last book that I read that I could not quit reading, and I needed re- I need to read it again so I can do a review, is uh, uh, Michael Sombart's "We Are Oblivion," which literally I could not stop reading that book, and I don't exactly understand how it ended. Uh, 
and that's probably why I needed to read need to read it again before <laughs> I actually do a review. And uh, but that that don't bug me. It's still a good book. Uh, the guy the guy can definitely write, and uh, if you get a chance, you need to pick that up because that is uh, that's definitely some dark and edgy stuff there. That's uh, that's very uh, it's slipstream, dark, edgy, very cool. I'm probably going to get crucified for saying this, especially during this series of interviews. But that's the way I felt about Kiss Me Judas the first and the second time I read it. I couldn't figure out the ending to say my, I think it was the third time I read it. I finally like the light bulb went on and, you know, I thought it was a great book. I, I plugged it to everybody I could. And the third time around, I was like, Hey, I, I, I got it now <laughs> because the first time I read through it, I turned expect there to be another page and I go, well, what, what just happened? So. Yeah. So that's that a, I've, re- I've read that book several times and I, I think I, I remember feeling that way the first time, but I mean, we talked about the, a lot at right club and in the velvet and, uh, at, it's not necessary to understand a book to know that it's good. And sometimes the appeal of that book is the fact that you don't understand it and you don't want to understand it. That's possibly what makes it good. Uh, makes it something that you're going to pass along to friends. You know, I pass along to me books going, Hey, I really don't know what it's about, but it was great. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, uh, and it's just uh, some, some puzzles are not meant to be solved. Bob, tell people where they can get a hold of you. They can get a hold of me at uh, Obscure Drum, my website, bobpastorella.com. That's the that's the easiest way to get a hold of me on uh, Facebook. Uh, of course, I'm just a uh, plain old Bob Pastorella. With a name, last name like that, you won't have a hard time finding me. Uh, <laughs> Robert C. Pastorella, though, is my senior, and he will not friend you. Or he's my father, actually, Robert C. Pastorella Sr., and, and he probably won't friend you. And uh, on Twitter, I am Bob underscore Pastorella. All right, Bob, thanks for taking some time and coming on the show with us today. We really appreciate it. Hey, no problem. It was great. Thanks again to Bob for taking time out of his day to talk to us here at Booked. Um, you can find Bob and links to some of his works at bobpastorella.com. And you can find his story, Practice in Warmed and Bound, which was released on Friday, July 22nd. You can find it at barnesandnoble.com as well as amazon.com. That wraps it up for another interview episode of Booked. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. Come back tomorrow for another Warmed and Bound session. 